Welcome to a very special episode of Second Chance Cinema called Be Kind Rewind. This is an episode from our first season, recut, remixed, and re-edited for your listening pleasure. Fair warning, there's cursing, and our hosts do spoil movie endings, but we also promote the movies, as is our goal with them all. Enjoy the show. Anyone who leaves this building will be shot. We will take a head count now, and again in the morning, if one person is missing... <coughs> Five of you will be executed. If two are missing, Ben will be shot, and so on. Tomorrow we will begin a head count every hour on the hour. If all goes well, you will be allowed out into the quad. But every hour on the hour, you must be in this room to be counted. Is that understood? Second, you have seen these orange wires running throughout this building and outside. These are wired to explosives. If any one of these wires is cut, the explosives will go off automatically. If any of the individual explosives are tampered with, they will explode! So, don't touch the wires. Don't touch the explosives. Ninety-two. Okay. So I was expecting the all right, all right. <clears throat> well, I felt like this movie exhausted me, so I'm. So that was my like sigh of resignation. Like, okay, we finally get to talk about it because I watched this movie probably about a week ago. I texted you, I think, as I was watching it. You text me pictures. I texted you pictures of what I was watching. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a movie that I had never, I had heard of and vaguely knew the premise of because in like seventh or eighth grade, I wrote a short story that was basically this movie, but it was me saving the school from terrorists. Mm-hmm. It was, it was me like, and I forget who the girl I was crushing on at the time was, but it was like me saving her from the terrorists that took over the school. Like during an assembly, I like slipped down through the bleachers or something like that and used my you know, junior high karate skills to, to, to save the day. And that's that's, right. You were in karate. Oh yeah. And, um, that's basically what this movie was, was die hard in a school. Yeah. And that's, I think every boy has this fantasy. I would be hard pressed if I go, you know, have you ever saved the school from terrorists in your mind during a very boring English class or whatnot? If well, somebody goes, no, I, I've i never done that. I'm like, what did you think about that? Maybe not every, but well, but I have, you have. So every boy in this room yeah. certainly has. I mean, um, and I would be hesitant to, to say that, that there aren't any more out there with similar imaginations. There has to be other <laughs> movies like this. I no? feel like there was another one called... Um, it was called Masterminds, and I think Patrick Stewart was the bad guy. And I feel like it was just another, like, bad guys take over a prep school kind of thing. So I'm going to write it down. Yeah, I don't, and I, like I said, I, don't, I feel like it was more um, gadgety, like the guy who ended up saving the school was, like, a robotics guy or something, and he used his, like, I don't know, robots and droids to, like... I, but, again, that's just me. <laughs> like, I, that could be completely untrue. Just your seventh grade story coming back? Yeah, but Masterminds... No, mine was all brute force. Mine was all just, like, hulking muscles and brute force. Um, <laughs> definitely an adolescent fantasy of mine was to save the school from terrorists. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, mine was always... Actually, like, when Columbine happened, 
that was kind of like wow. oh we went right there yeah huh? well i mean like okay. that's kind of well, <laughs> all right when you were like when i was fantasizing it was always like the gunman comes in and you got to close the door right and you're the one that's directing everybody like get by the windows and uh-huh. then you know like everybody get down and then of course they take the girl that you were crushing on which mine was always the, like the blonde girl in class uh-huh. and then you had to figure out some way to incapacitate them in order to save her right. and then save everybody in the class like it was always save her and then save everybody else right in the thing and then when columbine happened you went oh uh, i think i would have died <laughs> like, yeah well that's yeah that's a good that's a good it was um, a reality check a good, re- a, the, a good perspective to have yeah I don't that think was, you can make this movie now you can't put guns in the school in a movie now well and that's part of the thing that i wanted to talk about was there were some things about this movie that i was expecting that didn't happen and the fact that they didn't happen made me think well okay so whoever so the filmmakers had at least kind of a like a like a, I don't want to say not like a conscience but like a like they were aware of of what what could happen and what kind of couldn't happen to make it more digestible mm-hmm. I think before we dive too far in let's play the trailer let's write a haiku or a poem or a sonnet are you gonna you said you were gonna try something I think you said you were gonna try something other than a haiku today well I did the poem the last time did and you I, okay and I, and I liked it all right. I liked it. Well, we'll keep it a surprise then. So we're going to play the trailer. In case you haven't figured it out, the uh, the movie that we're talking about is the just meat-filled epic of <laughs> the early 90s, I think. 1991. 91, uh, just the, the, the meat and underpants-filled epic, <laughs> Toy Soldiers. So here's the trailer, and we'll be right back. The Regis School for Boys, where the country's best families... Bring that back here. Send the world's worst students. If you're going to kick me out, kick me out. Let's make four prep schools in four years. You're trying for the Guinness Book of Records? But these boys are in for a real shock. If you do not produce my father unharmed, I will begin executing the hostages. I'm sure by now you have discovered who their parents are. Chairman of the Armed Services Committee. Vice Chairman of the Republican Party. What does your father do, William? Contractor. According to this, he owns the third largest construction company in the world. Yeah, he's a contractor. My boys, many of them, they have a real problem with authority. Are you with me or not? Of course we're with you, man. But if you get a shot, we're going to be PO'd. I have the assault force in a staging area five minutes away. You have seen these orange wires. These are wired to explosives. The kid can get the other students out of the line of fire. If any one of these wires is cut, they will explode! This kid has been kicked out of two schools. Or well, three schools. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's a detonator. He's got guts. He's a leader. Come on. Billy says he can do it. I gotta believe he can. That's the signal. All right. We're really gonna do this? You bet. soldiers now you can't you can't see the trailer no but so the the height of the trailer when all the music's like gearing up mm-hmm. and it's crescendoing they were putting sean austin declipping the phone breaking in with the the porn operator mm-hmm. it's a first rule of prep school etiquette 
When you're in a basement with no windows, don't fart. No, the first rule of prep school etiquette is to pretend you're asleep when your roommate's beaten off. No, the first rule of prep school etiquette is to wait until your roommate falls asleep before beating off. Was that a personal remark directed at me, roommate? Choke your chicken, it's yours. You're you inside. slap your monkey all the time, I can't sleep at night. That was what they used as the height of the trailer. So if you saw the movie, you knew that that was not... That oh, was like so, he, the so they the tried to make that more than it yeah. actually was in the movie? Yeah. Like, as if he was like, <clears throat> you know, breaking into the terrorist code or something. <laughs> and Louis Gossick Jr. was about to catch him. It's Lewis, right? Like, you call him Louis... Or is, is it, it Lewis? I think I, I'm pretty sure it's Lewis. Lewis I was, Gossett I was, Jr.? I was wondering that, and I, I, I was wondering, yeah, I was wondering that before you came over, and I was like, no, I've heard it, Lewis. Lu- I'm pretty sure it's Lewis, Gossett Jr. And I, I think this is the first movie I've ever actually seen him in. Really? I think so. I know he was in, like, all the eight Iron Eagle movies or whatever, but I think this was the first time I actually saw him, like, on screen. I don't know. His IMDb doesn't tell you how to pronounce his name. Still alive. 1936. Old LGJ. Yeah. Officer and a gentleman. Enemy mine. Jaws 3D. You didn't see Jaws 3D? Missed that one. <laughs> He's in a lot of stuff. This IMDb is like a CVS receipt. He's a... <laughs> did you come in prepared with that? No, That's pretty not. good. He's a, he's a prolific actor. He is. Or, he he was does in... a lot of TV. Oh, okay. So and he he's he you know he he stole your heart as the stern but fair headmaster or uh, not headmaster president or something of the school I couldn't get dean. the title straight dean oh yeah dean <laughs> dean that's right um, and the, the headmaster was the butler from uh, Trading Places yep which was awesome Coleman <laughs> yeah Iron Eagle you were right on that oh, oh he, yeah he was in one called The Principal so okay so he's got experience yeah so casting directors were like you're <laughs> right right it's either him or Tom Berenger. I also want to point out the fun fact that we've done Small Soldiers, which was about toy soldiers, and now we do Toy Soldiers. Which is about small-ish small, soldiers. Yeah. Interesting. Small wow. Austin. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that later. Uh, Rudy is an action hero. All right. Okay. You want to go first? Sure. Go ahead. I did a poem. <laughs> so, the Regis School of Rejects, drinking mouthwash and talking sex, doing their worst is doing their best by doing battle with a dangerous terrorist. Oh, wow. That was nice. You like it? That was very good. Thank you. I think I'm better with the poems than okay. I do. Here's my haiku. Okay. Rudy, Will Wheaton, other dudes in underpants. John McClane shakes head. <laughs> <laughs> so recap the plot for us. There is a terrorist whose father is captured and he wants to break him out. So what he does is he takes a school hostage and in the school is like senator's sons and whatnot. So it's it's not a bad school to take hostage on American soil if you want to get somebody out it was of a very it was a it was a very clear example of privilege mm-hmm. just like hammering you over the head with privilege and who we focus on is like a group of five to six boys mm-hmm. who kind of are just troublemakers mm-hmm. out of everybody else because you kind of go like well is everybody a troublemaker in the school but no most of the kids like walking around like they have class outside they're all you know studying right and these are the ones that we we focus on. You get the sense right away as they're going through like the dossier of every kid. It's like, and they didn't even try to make it subtle. It was like, oh, everything except like, oh yeah, this is the president's son. Right. It was like, oh yeah, this is the um, joint chief of staff's son. I think there was a uh, Supreme Court Supreme judge. Court justice, yeah. blah blah blah, all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Trota, Joseph. Your father is Albert Trotta in New York City. Yes. The Albert Trotta. 
What's the matter? Not proud of your father? No. Montoya, Ricardo. Yes, sir. Your father is senior partner at Johnson, Montoya, and Apes. Yes, sir. And past president of the California Bar Association. Yes, sir. So tell me, Ricardo, are you a Mexican? Mexican American. Do you speak Spanish? No, not really. Sácalo para fuera y mete un balas. No, wait! Wait, what? You don't speak Spanish. Sorry. I do speak a little Spanish. Is he a friend of yours? Yes, he is. Well, tell your friend he's lucky I didn't shoot him. Very, very wealthy, very, very um, powerful, predominantly white. Goal was to use that as leverage to try and like extradite the, I forget the terrorist's name, but the terrorist's father. So, Louis <clears throat> Callie. Callie, Louis Callie, that's right. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that, that struck me going into this movie was like, there's no way I'm going to buy Rudy as an action hero. <laughs> no way. Just not going to happen because number one, he, I've seen him in too many other things to know, to, to like have already, like he's in my mind as something else. This and, isn't like, I wouldn't say this is like an well, action, like this well, is right. Goonies. So let me, right? so let me finish. All right. And it was smart of them because they didn't present him that way. Mm. He wasn't an action hero. He didn't go around beating up terrorists. He didn't like, there, there was one scene where like him and three other kids, like, you know, ended up overpowering a terrorist and, and just by sheer numbers. But they didn't present him as like a like a as a physical threat, which is what I was expecting. I feel like that was a smart choice to not to not position him in that way. Where and I don't think I'm the only one who would find that kind of unbelievable, right? Um, especially after him being in Rudy, which was basically a movie about how small and harmless he is, and now he's got a glorious mullet too. So it's like he does. But they didn't do that. He, he did a lot of sneaking around, and he was more of like a a monkey wrench than an actual threat mm. to their plan. So, agreed. The addition of Will Wheaton as um, Joey the, Trotta, Joey Trotta, the mob boss's son, which I thought they revealed pretty cool. Like he was throughout the movie until they actually reveal who his father is. He was like, you know, he would subtly say like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't associate with my father. I hate my father. I don't, you know, I don't." support what my father does and you're like oh this is weird maybe he's just like a liberal or like his father's a republican or but then they do the reveal that his father's like the mob boss of new jersey to me that was like that whole storyline between the mob boss father and then the terrorist father who had done business in the past with each other somehow those wires got crossed and they were like okay we have to let this kid go because we have relationship with the mob bosses with the mob and you know we do business with them so we have to let this kid go that like that whole dynamic i feel like was just a blip that could have been really really something like way cooler yeah that was well layered i mean this is all based on a book so probably in the book it does go deeper than that you kind of think of like the 
the logic behind it, you're like, what is a mob boss's son doing here amongst everybody else? Right. Well, if the mob boss is thinking about it, like if you put your son in with judges, kids, and you know everybody that's getting into politics, like that right. kid, all those kids are probably going to grow into their family businesses. Right. And then you have Will Wheaton, who is you know who could say like, oh, we went to school together, mm-hmm. and now he's in the pocket of politicians. Right. And vice versa. That's an actually an interesting theory I didn't consider, but they also, I think there was a scene where like the father's talking and he's like, you know, I know that kid hates me, but I'll be damned if I'm not going to try to give him a better life or something like that. Like there was a something altruistic or, you know, it was a throwaway line, but right. it was, it was, I like your theory way better. <laughs> but, um, so you kind of heard it in the trailer. Rudy is like the lead rebel of the school. Mm-hmm. He's been kicked out of four prep schools, him and this group of other kids who included, Will Wheaton and the kid from Adventures in Babysitting, <laughs> have, whose name I don't know. Well, that's what as I'm writing as I was watching it, I was writing down notes really quickly, and so I put Sean Sean Aston. I think so. Sean Aston, Will Wheaton, Adventures in Babysitting, Don't Tell Mom guy, and then I have in parentheses because I probably went back and went he, Keith wait, Coogan. He was in Don't Tell Mom also. Yeah, he's the dishes are done, man. Dishes are done, man. Cleans them down to the shot. So his movies are all about babysitters. Well, yeah, I guess this one. Are you saying this one? Not this one. <laughs> the previous one. Yeah. Adventures in Babysitting and so Don't he's, Tell Mom he's, Guy. He sought to be untypecast as just the babysitter <laughs> movie guy. Yeah. What's his name? Keith Coogan. Keith Coogan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there were a couple of other guys. I thought the the black guy who was their friend for a long time because of his hairline, I thought was the guy who played Balrog in Street Fighter, but it wasn't him. No. T.E. Russell. <coughs> his, Don't know who that is. The one that you would know him from is he was in Gladiator. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then Ricardo Perez was the other, or no, George Perez. He played Ricardo Montoya. He was the other okay. friend. He was the Mexican right. like bench presser. Okay. So anyway, we've got this assemblage of dudes who are all sort of ne'er-do-well, and um, (laughs) they're constantly at odds with the Dean. They're always sneaking out to go drink, which I thought was kind of cool, their homemade mouthwash vodka or whatever it was, right? which was basically just like this elixir he made of like peppermint schnapps and vodka. And And when I was watching this in 1991, I thought it was mouthwash when I was like nine years old or whatever. What do you mean? I thought, well, I mean, like, because when you're a kid, everything kind of goes over your head that's, like, adult-wise, you know? Well, you thought that's just how they made mouthwash? Well, I just thought that that was mouthwash. You know, like, I was like, oh, he's getting drunk off mouthwash. Oh, you thought they were getting drunk off mouthwash? Yeah, because you're not supposed to drink it. You know, it's kind of like those other movies where they're getting drunk off cough syrup. Right. Um, Got it. Yeah. So I just figured it was. And then watching it, re-watching it now, 20 years later, I was like, oh. Pretty smart. Mm -hmm. You could get away with that in a dorm today, I think, right? Yeah. To be honest, I don't know why no one thought of it. Like, I, I don't. This is the first time I've ever seen that technique, and I feel like that's a disservice uh, to my college years because I feel like somebody should have thought of that. I feel like I know what your Christmas present's going to be this year. <laughs> I don't want mouthwash vodka, <laughs> but um, like, yeah, you just have a big jug of like green mouthwash. I mean, all you need really is vodka and food coloring. Yeah, and you know the RA comes in. He's like, "Oh, you guys care about dental health? That's awesome." Bye. Right. But like, really, as long as you don't put it somewhere weird, like yeah. just keep it like around the bathroom and then grab it when you have to go out smart move Mm -hmm. anyway so um yeah they're part of this school that the terrorist's son seeks to infiltrate and hold hostage until his father's released Mm -hmm. the scene at the beginning where he's in the i think it was a mexican courtroom Mm -hmm. and it's basically them 
holding the courtroom hostage to do the same thing because they believe that the father hasn't been extradited extradited out of the country yet. Isn't there a scene where they throw a woman out the window? Yeah. Like they, they're holding all the hostages by open windows so the press can see them. And then he like gives the signal and one of the guys just nudges this lady out the window and she dies, which was pretty brutal. Right. Then there's another scene where they take the actual judge, and I thought this was brilliant. They take the actual judge to their getaway plane, I think, or helicopter. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, helicopter. They fly up with him as like cover. You know, they're holding him. He's holding him in front so they can't shoot him. Then they throw him out of the plane. And that kind of set up the rest of the movie for me in a way like, okay, this could be better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so yeah, so then they realize that the only way to get this dad out of jail and back um, to Mexico is to extort the sons of the rich, wealthy, and influential in America. Which I really like it when like bad guys in films like they have a team and then I like to see that team like take over something like like how it was done in a like Die Hard. Like Die Hard, The Rock. Just the the choreography of like all right, this is the point one secure. Right. Yeah. And then like setting up like surveillance mm-hmm. on the on the rooftops and yep. just kind of maybe it's going back to that I would have to defend my own school but I'm like logging like okay, there's people there and there's people there and right. like this is how like <clears throat> They did the same. See, this really was just Die Hard in a school because in Die Hard, McLean writes the terrorist names on his arm, like as as he finds out, so he can keep track of like at least how many there are. Mm-hmm. Here, they had Will Wheaton do the same. Th- excuse me, Will Wheaton do the same thing because he was sketching them. Yeah, which I thought was it was like cool but kind of pointless. Like I didn't quite. Like I guess I guess part of it was just like him trying to dissociate himself from the situation and that was his stress relief and all that kind of thing. I didn't quite understand the point of sketching them as opposed to just like writing down their names or whatever because maybe they couldn't get their name. Did they uh, get I their guess names? that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. Oh yeah, just trying to get like all the information they could to the cops. Because outside. then didn't they did they like assign them nicknames or something like that and they were like, "Oh, chicken face is in the Yeah in the bell tower or something like that. Maybe yeah. that's right. Okay, maybe I just didn't remember that. And then they log, like, where they're at right, and the patrols right, right, and everything, right, right, right. and so that's when Sean runs to the drainage right. ditch. Just get to me. All right, pick it up, get away. Let her go. So, Which that's a great scene, <laughs> where he runs through the drainage ditch. Where he well, you like he he's got to like log like when they're looking, and then they have to distract them with the plane, and then he runs out, and then like oh yeah is yeah, yeah. Down, like it was yeah, and see that was the kind of thing that like like that's the kind of thing that I'm glad they did as opposed to like Sean um, Austin grabs Rudy a beats log- somebody with launcher. like yeah well or even like Rudy beats somebody with a dictionary you know like something right. like that like that's the kind of stuff that like pots and pins. Yeah, 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 that's right. Although they, yeah, they did do that. But even that was like, that was more like slapsticky, where he hits him with the pa- the pan in the mm. in the kitchen. That was more slapsticky. And the the only time that there was actually like physical hand to hand combat between the kids and the terrorists was when there was like four kids and one guy who got taken by surprise in the right, you know, like as they jumped out of the air vents. Yeah, so. it was all. I mean, realistic ish. You know, like of of what everybody's abilities could be. Yeah, they had like yeah, that's and that's another good thing. Like they had the 
tech guy who had that little plane. They, they had the. I like how they take over like the two younger boys' dorm room and then just kind of like oh, like them. shove them to the side. Yeah, yeah. like and the then, relationships were all kind of real because they just rag on each other, mm-hmm. you know. Like, but they're you could tell that they're friends to the end, and right, they're it's very camaraderie. So let's talk about the scene that made me laugh and feel guilty for laughing was the death of Will Wheaton. And and here's what I imagined. So he is being told that he is going to be released from the school mm-hmm. because of his, who his father is. And because his father's ma- mafia don or, you know, whatever, the terrorist needs him to be released so that they can continue to maintain their relationship. Well, Wheaton is like, no, I'm going to stay with my friends, which, of course, you expected that. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the terrorist told him he was going to leave. He resisted, and the terrorist was just like, yeah, no, you're leaving. And, and then, then he gets shoved out. Right. He's walking with the henchman, elbows the henchman, knocks him down, takes his gun. Now, does he kill that henchman, or does he just run? He, that's the start of the shooting. So does he kill him? I think so, yeah. Okay. And then it goes. So kills him. Which I didn't like because that was a point in my movie was or a point in my argument was going to be this is a, an interesting movie because the kids never actually kill anybody. Mm. So I'll have to double check if that's true because anyway he he escapes the clutches of the terror of the henchman runs down the front stairs of the school and has this giant machine gun <laughs> just basically goes out all of his friends are like oh hey there's Joey <laughs> he's got this big machine gun and he starts to open fire on these terrorists misses them and gets killed mm-hmm. in the process. We're letting you go. What? You're free to go. This man will take you to the main entrance. All you have to do is walk down the driveway. Why me? Because we respect your father. Fuck my father. And fuck you. I'm not going anywhere without my friends. Oh, yes, you are. Now, the way he was running, like, when he grabbed the gun, does he get killed? Is this the scene? This is, yeah, if you Google Will Whedon death scene toy soldiers, there's an immediate... Oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, so he's he's leaving. So this long-haired Fabio guy. Right. Okay, so the elbow, kicks the balls, takes the gun. No, he just knocks him out. He just knocks him out. Okay, see? So, yeah. So the kid, so the kids never actually kill anybody, which was I thought important. He walks Wait. down the stairs. He tries to open fire with oh, it's an Uzi kind of. <clears throat> Will Wheaton's dead. Okay, and Rudy, oh, some great acting shot. here. Will Wheaton still getting shot. I love seconds. that shirt from from uh, the belly shirt. Yeah, the belly shirt. Will Wheaton still getting shot. Falls. Now the way, that what made me laugh about this was um, <laughs> when Will Wheaton grabs the gun. It's less, it reminded me less of like him trying to escape with his life and more of like when Will Ferrell goes, we're going streaking (laughs) (laughs) from old school. Like he was just like, he seemed like so excited, like, like a new toy kind of thing. (laughs) 
And that to me just, I don't know, that just cracked me up. And then he falls, he comes out the stairs. I didn't know he was going to die. When it happened, I was like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Part of the realism of like, that he would not be able to control that gun if he's never fired like No, machine. true. Like, Although I'm not sure if that was, I, I feel like that might not have been as intentional as, as we think. Like, I feel that was just kind of an awkward scene. Yeah, overall. maybe. But my point was going to be, so right there, that takes the plot in a tangent where now the terrorists have killed the mob boss's son. Mm. And that, to me, could have either been its own movie or it could have been, like, like that was the movie I wanted to see. Like, the retaliation. Obviously, there's the retaliation in this movie. But, like, there could have been, like, that, that to me was something I'd never considered, even when they revealed that he was the mob boss's son. Mm-hmm. Like, th- now there's this dynamic where the terrorists aren't just trying to get the father free. Now they're at war with the mafia. Right. And that, to me, was like, oh, that that could be really cool. But they didn't really do anything with it other than... Well, it's a hard, like, what, <coughs> so, like from and a I get writer's that, perspective, I get like, that wasn't the movie. Yeah. Yeah, right, but, me, but yeah. like, like, so you got like the the central focus point is the school, right. right? The terrorists and the students are milling about in there. Then there's an outer ring of all the cops, like how right. to influx the mafia through right. the cops, like to the, you know, like. And I'm just saying, like they dangled that carrot because there's also the was. army, right? They they dangle. Oh yeah, we forgot Arlie Army to talk about <laughs> in this. He was great. Like there is so much <clears throat> to this movie that I think. In more qualified hands, it could have been mm-hmm. like a, a, on a grander scale, mm-hmm. you know. And it, if somebody was like, "We're remaking Toy Soldiers," I'd be like, "I'm down," you know. Like yeah. that this the movie when I presented this movie to be discussed here, like it wasn't necessarily like, "Oh my gosh, this is a great movie that was kind of overlooked." This is to me, this is one of those movies. Like anybody that's listening has either not, never seen it. Or they saw it a couple times a long time ago, but nobody's going to be listening to this podcast and be like, oh my gosh, that was on TBS the other day, because Mm. this movie has been forgotten. Um, I had a hard time finding this to watch it. It was on an app called, I think I searched on my Fire Stick, and I found it on an app called Crackle, which is like a... (laughs) It was like supposed to be a comedy. I don't know. It's like a third tier Sony app. And it was like, I had to watch an ad like every 10 minutes, but got through it. I think like Seinfeld was one of the originators of Crackle. Oh, maybe. Okay. So Um, forgotten is a good word because like I didn't, I I knew the movie title. I knew the basic premise, just like I said, because of my own adolescent fantasies. But beyond that, couldn't tell you a thing. Everybody that had the fantasy of protecting their school from terrorists single-handedly, like Mm -hmm. should see the movie because i think like the realism factor is like i always thought oh yeah you would get a gun and then you would shoot the other two terrorists in the room good chance you're not shooting the other two terrorists in the room if you get a gun Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're gonna will weed in yourself yeah um (laughs) and then like oh my god i hope that becomes a verb (laughs) i hope that becomes a verb and then (laughs) i'm gonna write that down to put in the description don't will weed in yourself try to make will wheaton a verb (laughs) our hosts try to make will wheaton a verb um and then like the second thing is is the cast like as soon as I love Sean Astin, like probably from like the Goonies days, the Rudy days. He always plays the people that you could get behind. I always feel bad for his brother who tried to do the same thing. And then, you know, who's his brother? His brother was the lead of Garbage Pail Kids movie. And like you listen to interviews with him. And what's he, his brother? What's his name? Michael Astin. I don't miss. I don't know. Because he didn't make it. Like he thought Garbage Pail Kids was going to be his vehicle into the fame like his brother had. And then no. Garbage Pail Kids killed his fame. 
huh. before it even started. So, I mean, like, and then you have it's Samwise Gamgee, you know, like trying to take back the school from Terrace. So, really like that. And Keith Coogan, even though we didn't know his name, Will Whedon, it's kind of like the stand by me, but set in school is how I thought of it. But Die Hard in a school also works. I mean, I think, uh, yeah. And that's another thing, too. Like, you're right. Stand by me in a school could be another way to describe this. I think. I mean, like the diehard convention where it's like like a regular person or in this case, regular people go up against, you know, evil villains well ahead of their skill level in a confined space is like, you know, that's how you describe like like Under Siege was diehard on a boat, mm. you know, Under Siege 2 was diehard on a train, but with Steven Seagal. Speed was diehard Speed on a bus. Speed was kind of like diehard on a bus, sort Speed of. Speed yeah. 2 was diehard on a boat again. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... The the Die Hard convention, because Die Hard was 89, right? Or 80... 88? 88, yeah. I think Die Hard was 88. So that would have been three years before this movie. So it was like, it made perfect sense that some executive was like, we should do this with kids <laughs> in in the early 90s. And then all the... Some, like, some die- coked up executive was like, guys, you know what Die Hard was missing? Kids. And the fact, like, all three of those, like, Die Hard, Die Hard 2, Toy Story, they're all based on books, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And most of them have nothing to do with, like, John McClane didn't appear in the books. And uh, Oh, really? No, I don't think, like... Well, he appeared in the first one. The second one was based off of, like, was a completely different author. It was just about an airport being taken, controlled by terrorists. So, it was actually a pretty good book. Did not know that. Toy Soldiers is like $100 on Amazon to read that book. The book? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Because I was like, oh, we're going to read it. And then... Fun fact, I uh, was going through and purging a lot of my books the other day, and I found this Ghostbusters book that was like a novel version of the first movie. Mm. I was like, I don't remember this at all. And I looked it up on Amazon, 200 bucks. It's like a little tiny, like, choose-your-own-adventure size book. And I was like, wow, this shit's worth 200 bucks. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, so... Because (laughs) Die Hard, uh, John McClane first appears in the book The Detective, which was, I think, like a 1964 movie starring Frank Sinatra as John McClane. So he was the first John McClane before Bruce Willis took it over. God awful. Like, it was like the most boring thing I've ever sat through. Based on my opinion. Okay. (laughs) So, and then they did Die Hard, which wasn't called Die Hard. I forget what the book was. And then they just started basing everything on on these books. So I think... Nothing Lasts Forever, which was the Die Hard book. Okay. That actually sounds familiar from, like, sitting through the Die Hard credits, like, based on (laughs) this, this... By Roderick Thorpe. Something like that, yeah. So back to the movie. So we were talking about the storyline between the mafia and the cartel or terrorists or whatever. And um, the mafia retaliates by staging a prison riot um, and having the terrorist father killed in prison, mm. which I actually kind of didn't quite see coming. Like I saw, like when it when it happened, I thought they they arranged the riot, or, or they don't show them arranging the riot, but this riot happens, and you get the feeling like oh, it's staged because the father like hum- stumbles out of his cell and he kind of doesn't know what's going on. And I thought this he was gonna like somebody was gonna like extract him and he was gonna escape, or something. right? But no, some big dude comes up behind him and slits his throat and throws him over the balcony, and then you're like oh, oh okay, yeah, totally makes like if the mafia's gonna retaliate like that's that part i really liked because that is when the terrorists who took over the school go from like a position of leverage to now or rather a a specific goal you know to now a a specific goal with which they have like specific leverage having all the politicians kids and stuff now they're just trying to like save their own asses kind Mm -hmm. of so it kind of was a moment when like the kids and even the the police and the army like kind of got the upper hand 
even without knowing it. You know, so oh, like, yeah. speaking of the police, the lead police investigator, the old guy who wasn't Arlie Army, um, was the grandfather and son-in-law. I, I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, That's one of my favorite. That's probably my favorite Polly Shore. Good to see him again. Mm-hmm. Pappy. Mason what, Adams is yep, his name. Pappy. As, uh, he used to, he would whittle, and Polly Shore wanted to whittle with him. And that's how he that's how he accepted Polly Shore <laughs> into the family. He, he let him whittle with him. So, whittle yeah. wood with your bro? <laughs> Are you Bartles or James? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the relationship between Rudy and the Dean is, I thought, was fairly predictable it was like the dean saying you know you've got so much potential you're wasting all this potential that you've got you're a smart kid and blah 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 it turns into the dean being an advocate for rudy when the dean is trapped outside the school as this whole hostage situation is taking place Mm. now that part i kind of had an issue with because i don't know that a police chief or army commander or whoever was in charge there would listen to it. The dean of a school who said, "Yeah, no, this kid can do it," right? And be like, "Yeah, okay, let's give him a shot." I don't feel like that would happen. And that's, I think, that's like it. Kind of what '80s and early '90s films like always, you know, like you had like that one person in the like kind of a uh, John McClane in that, you know, with a uh, what's his face from Family Matters. Oh, uh, Carl Winslow. Yeah, this guy. I trust this. It's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, Um, that is a good point. I hadn't because I was about to say. (laughs) I was about to say, but John McClane was a cop, but they didn't know that. Yeah, no, they didn't trust. They didn't know that. And then I was going to say, but John McClane is an adult, but they didn't really know that technically either. So yeah, that's a good point. I'm not saying it's a good trope. I'm just saying. No, I'm not. I'm not privy at all to the inner workings (laughs) of the FBI chain of command and how they're able to take orders from civilians i guess but it just struck me as weird that when lewis gossett jr was like yeah this kid's a really he's got a lot of potential i think you should listen to him <laughs> like like this kid's a dick he could probably beat these guys he's a bad ass he's a he's a he's a dick and he you know trust me this kid this kid hacked into our phone system to call sex lines i think he can beat these terrorists they try to hold like sean Aston back from going back to the school right like they i mean they did yeah he escaped he escaped, and this was that kind of brilliant scene you were talking about, where he, where they orchestrate all these distractions, and then he escapes through the like the drainage ditch right. and all that kind of stuff, and um, goes and finds, sort of unwittingly, finds their like command center. Yeah, because two pop up from the bush. Right, right. kind of tells them what's going on, but then says, "I have to get back for because they're going to take attendance. I have to get back." And then they they're they're arguing about whether or not to let him go back. They're like, "No, he's here. He's safe. He's staying." And then he's like, "No, I have to go back, or they're going to start killing people." And blah blah blah. That's the first time they kind of listen to him and let him go back. And that which, shows, like, you know, I mean, if you were like looking although, at him, like, I'd be like, no, oh, you this know what? Guy is not he, selfish. You know what? They didn't let him go back. He escaped. Mm-hmm. He like he like knocked over a tent or something like that and then created a diversion and ran away do you remember what the head count is 97 92 92 they kept getting 91 when he was missing he was in the he was in the shower they do it so many times in the movie 92 i thought it was 97 he on his own volition goes back to the school to um make sure he's there for attendance so none of his friends get hurt and that was cool that kind of solidified him as um you know like a loyal hero character mm. i thought that was cool and but again it's just like I, I don't know how seriously i could take the fbi if i knew they were listening to like to rudy and rudy's dean <laughs> <laughs> but who knows i don't know i don't know in, in my fantasy i was the only one there was no fbi i saved the school myself so you would have will Wheaton yourself i probably would have <laughs> i would have i would have will Wheaton the hell out of myself 
So I like the fact that the bad guys realize the value of recess because they make sure that those boys get out <laughs> and they're able to play in the yard and just exert the energy. I wondered, like, if if you read the book, if they're saying, like, well, in prison, like, you, you're stuck in the dorm room for, like, 23 hours of the day, and then you get that one hour to go outside and listen to the old teacher read uh-huh. from a book, and you got the kids that are, like, tossing a football around, you know, and everybody's just under watch from the armed guards. For some reason, I really like that scene, because I'm like, oh, it shows a little, a little humanity. Well, I mean, these, they, like, obvious, obviously, they have basic psychology under wraps because they need to they need the kids to expend energy and feel uh a little more relaxed so they don't try anything stupid so yeah, they don't like, so they don't run down the stairs and go <laughs> we're going streaking with an uzi and get shot and then get their fathers killed and the mafia war and all that kind of stuff yeah so. like the, the you know everything goes on as normal they're still cooking meals and taking care of the kids. I would have loved to see this hostage situation go on for several more weeks and then Stockholm Syndrome kind of uh, play into it where they all became friends, like the terrorists and the kids. And like <laughs> they formed like a super school, you know, you like, go. I don't know. They all um, just become terrorists. Tell me or they all become students of life. No, oh. Maybe that's the better answer. There you go. Sure. Tell me about the big criticism of this movie that you mentioned when we were texting. The biggest criticism seems to side with homophobia back in the day. Because a lot, if you read like all the reviews, they all point to the scenes where a bunch of kids are walking around with their underwear on, like in the dorm rooms and whatnot. Which happened. If you watch the movie, it's something that you notice. You're like... Absolutely, and it's kind of one of those like I don't. I'm never. I, I mean, was that a '90s thing? Was that like a was that a '90s thing? Maybe because it shows up again in uh, it, like a a pre pre yeah like pre '90s like the thing or TV whatever. movie. It no the the movie release. The boys are all about to go. The recent one. Yeah, they they cliff. But I mean, like I, I meant I meant was that a thing that happened in '90s movies a lot? Oh, in '90s movies, yeah. I don't think so. I mean. Based on like the harsh reaction of this movie because of the underwear scenes. It's not that it was uncomfortable. It was just kind of like in your face and a little bit. It was just unexpected because we were watching it from the outside in. But if you've ever spent time like on a on a, like a road trip or something like that, you know, it's not uncommon for like dudes to wake up and be like in a t-shirt and underwear. Maybe well, not tidy whities but right. And I think it's just the tidy whities <clears throat> They didn't. Do they have? boxer briefs back in the day see i was just gonna say that but i thought I i'd sound dumb yeah no <laughs> i thought i'd sound dumb like it's not like i remember hanging around in college like in boxers and a t-shirt and i think right. that would be the equivalent of what was going on there right maybe boxers weren't invented until then we should yeah, look into and that. this is like a dorm I don't know. room like it's a yeah, private and that's the thing private, <clears throat> like if this it, was set in a locker room like it would be natural you know right. and a dorm room is kind of the same thing it's a private area but again it's like you think you think i mean it's not like like i feel like it almost would have been weirder or more unexpected if they were like all fully clothed in school uniforms or something just right. to ease that point of focus but that was apparently a big criticism that went are you looking up when boxers were invented when boxers became popular was the 1930s okay so we were wrong whoa Around 1947, boxer shorts started to gain in popularity again. So, it it, it happens and flows. Ebbs and flows, okay. <laughs> so, so um, maybe the 80s weren't really a boxer short type area. And you think, too, I mean, like, I, my, my big thing, like I am kind of right now, was like athletic shorts, you know, like yeah like workout shorts or whatever and and i feel like maybe that was just like i don't remember 1991 in terms of loungewear so right. <laughs> i don't know if that was like just the thing maybe they were trying to be ultra realistic about it but either way it rubbed a lot of people yeah 
sorely. Yeah, so that was like the major criticism. I found like probably the worst review I could find. TV Guide mm-hmm. is where, where this review came from. It must have been a great pitch. Dead Poet Society meets Rambo meets mm. Ransom of the Red Chief meets The Godfather. This must have sounded like the perfect prescription for box office success to some clueless studio executive. Horrifyingly, Toy Soldiers was made. Dead Poet Society, Rambo, Ransom of the... What is it? Red Chief meets The Godfather, which uh, this guy doesn't mention it, but somebody else did Taps. You ever see the film Taps no. with uh, George C. Scott, Timothy Hutton, and Tom Cruise? No. Sean Penn's film debut. It's about, I guess, this little blurb right here. The students, outraged at the thought of their school being turned into condominiums, vow to fight back. Led by cadet major Brian Moreland, Timothy Hunt, and they stage school-wide rebellion that ends with them in charge of the campus. So it's kind of about the students <laughs> taking over the school. Okay, so that's... So yeah. I'd throw that in there. Dead Poets Society was a good... Um, that's a good comparison, I think. Especially at the beginning when they go into their secret area to you know, yeah. call mm-hmm. 900 yep, numbers yep, yep. or whatever. <sighs> the biggest disappointment in Toy Soldiers is that not enough prep school students get gunned down. Wow! TV Guide. Really? <laughs> Jeez, when was that written? In 1991? Yeah, probably. Oh my gosh, it's that's terrible. It's always the Colombian woman in the tacky dress or the frumpy school teacher who bites the bullet and never the ones we really want to see get wasted. Jeez. And after a while, we lose interest because we know that these hunky prepsters aren't so much as going to get their frisbees singed. So what exactly are we supposed to be watching if there is no real suspense? Maybe the high-profile actors like Lou Gossett... Oh, Lou... Oh, that's how we should have dealt with it. Lou Lou Gossick Jr. and Denholm Elliott, who turn in those polite yet vacant performances that only money can buy, or we can watch the doltish cinematography that lovingly caresses every car or jeep that it touches, that lingers coyly over explosions, that swoons over helicopters... And if we're really fearless, we could watch the wooden performances of the young actors. They're supposed to be real Hellcats, Hellcats. But if they were really Hellcats, they'd join up with the terrorists and genuinely piss off their parents. Instead, they instantly turned into good little soldiers. This is, who wrote this? Guy this? Just, who, I don't, what's the name it, on it? It was uncredited. He didn't put it, or uh, he or she okay, didn't put their name to it. As if to say that in the heart of every misunderstood delinquent lies the burning soul of a little... Schwarzkopf. The man responsible for the script and direction is Daniel Petrie Jr., who wrote the screenplay for Beverly Hills Cop, and obviously got a lot of money to make toy soldiers. Unfortunately, Petrie's idea of dramatic tension is to expose more boyish flesh as the movie progresses. And as more and more lumpy young pectorals are flashed, more and more people and objects are exploded. All this is accompanied by a persistently obnoxious soundtrack that features patriotic fanfares. And as the four different plots bump into each other like blinded laboratory animals, we begin to feel empathy, if not pity, for everyone involved. Yet, if we are completely baffled by what we've seen, we shouldn't be. It would all be too clear if we saw the paychecks. And then it ends with parentheticals of excessive violence. That's so, just a mean person. That's I mean, just, that's just like a like that. Just that, this guy is disappointed that he didn't get to see prep school students get shot. Yeah, he was talking about how the Colombian woman got killed, and there were a couple other like people of color who got killed, but none of like the white kids or whatever. I think is that that seemed but like the, the point he wanted to the make. The only kid that got killed was the white kid. Well, that seemed like the point he wanted to make. The based on, but he structured his he, he structured his writing really weird in a, in a way that it sounded like he just wanted to see prep school kids get right killed. yeah like, i mean maybe i'm playing devil's advocate and maybe i'm like defending him when i shouldn't <laughs> but but that was yeah that was a that was just a shitty review yeah that was, that was like the worst review i was like uh, okay yeah no i'm gonna put that out there for everybody like that was this this movie i don't think was meant to be 
I mean, it was set against kind of like a political backdrop, but I, I, I hesitate to think this was meant to be like a political statement movie. No, like I feel like this, this was movie, Die Hard in a school. Yeah, like, you just sit back and enjoy it. Like yeah. you don't. Wow. What were some of the other reviews? Uh, that's the only one that I, once I found that one, I was like, I'm good. That just exhausted you? Yeah. What about um, scores on our... Uh, um, okay, so the scores, the, yeah, the 89% websites. Google. So we usually hang around that 89 to 92% of Google users like it. 46% Metacritic, 36% Rotten Tomatoes, but it's got a 6.5 on IMDb. 6.5, so... Kind of like right in the middle of If this were doing. the St. Regis school, that would be a D. Mm-hmm. We were, if we were doing it grade-wise. <laughs> yeah. um, but there were parts of it, like we were talking about, like the dynamic between the mafia and the cartel, the ingenuity of the kids, the fact that the kids never did kill anyone, the fact that the presence of like loyalty and friendship and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like This movie had good bits and pieces to it, yeah. I think. And I think that's, again, that's kind of a, a, a what we hope is a trademark of the show, is like movies that got overlooked because, for whatever reason... But, you know, still resonate fairly well. Yeah. Like, I enjoyed watching this movie. I was happy to, to see that, that Rudy's role was not as, like, a diehard action hero, but more as, like, a... He was really just, like, a protagonist who drove the plot mm-hmm. forward. Like, a lot, of the, a lot of the events in the movie, I feel like, didn't happen to him. They happened kind of around him. He sort of kept those events moving forward like he because he escaped the school and went back to the command outpost or whatever like that facilitated the story moving forward well if you look at like what his character is his character was always the one that rebuked authority you right. know like did not like authority <laughs> he didn't save the school himself like by the end of the movie he's relying on the authority to help save him and his friends and he's helping out the authority you know like that's his uh, overall okay character. oh interesting and that's what he learned from the whole so thing he began like, to sort of respect well because i think what he knew what, what Maybe what inadvertently they did was kind of give Rudy a taste of his own medicine in terms of he thought that the dean was the most oppressive authority on the face of the planet until this drug cartel took over school and he realized, okay, wait a minute, maybe the dean's not so bad in terms of like looking out for my well-being and... And he wasn't like... No, he really... Yeah, I didn't think he was either. Like he was, you know, hard-nosed, he was hard-nosed and he was authoritarian stuff, but he wasn't like a dick about it. Yeah, the two teachers... And that's what like, I mean, that's my favorite kind of teachers is like they took the... Not the, it wasn't the dean's office, right? It was uh, the headmaster. The headmaster's office, and they put it out on the front lawn, mm-hmm. exactly how it was in the thing. All his furniture and stuff. And then yeah. they were stern when the students were there, and then when they walked away, they all just start laughing. You know right. that it was a good prank. So the headmaster's in the middle of his his furniture and stuff, and the dean comes in. Lou Gossett Jr. comes in, and the headmaster's like, uh, it's something like. He's like, don't laugh. And, and right. uh, Lou Gossett Jr. is like, believe me, I'm trying not to. <laughs> because, like, yeah, that was a really good prank. Right. That was a funny-ass prank. And then when they were, like, selling the and, mouthwash, he just walked him down the hallway. And was well, and them back. he, um, it comes back into play later. And I love it when movies do this. Like, that's at the very beginning of the movie. They somehow break into the dean's office and put all his furniture, or the headmaster's office and put all his furniture on the front lawn. Later in the movie, when he's got to go, like, I think it's actually climbing through the air vents, mm-hmm. just like John McClane, he's like, how do you think I got into the headmaster's office? And so that kind of comes, like, full circle. Oh, yeah, which was just a little little thing, completely inconsequential, but, like, it showed attention to a little bit of detail that I thought was And it's not cool. like a completely, when they're breaking in the headmaster's office to switch the remote right. controller or whatnot, like, that's not hugely technical where you're like how oh, do right, you right. know this you know <laughs> that part i thought was funny because it was supposed to be like a super simple like switch the chip mm. and then the kid is 
the kid, the, t- the tech kid is up above in the air vent, and Rudy's down in the office with the airplane and the bomb detonator. <laughs> He's like, the chip's the wrong color. <laughs> and it's like, that just seems like an extra layer of difficulty that they added in. Right. Like, why couldn't it be something simple? Right. That just, that struck me as funny. Like, of course the chi- chip's the wrong color. Yeah, it's course. an enjoyable but then, movie. But then the kid's just like, okay, uh, try it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like, after they get this big spiel about how messing with anything will cause it to blow up, he's just like, oh, does it look the same? <laughs> Try it anyway. <laughs> like that was kid logic. That was pretty brilliant. <laughs> Is it a chip? Also, yeah. Okay, that must be it. Try it. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. One of the kids <clears throat> has a sad. Uh, I saw that. I think it was that kid. Yeah, Sean Fallon is he, his name. He passed away in like a car accident or something. Or? Suffered a traumatic brain injury when he was broadsided at an intersection uh, in 1994. Was in a coma for four years and then passed oh, away gosh. in 1998. Wow. The irony, if that's the right word, in the movie Miles from Nowhere, he played a child who is comatose after a road traffic accident two years before it actually happened to him. That's not irony. That's just coincidence. Coincidence? I think so, yeah. Uh, So, Toy Soldiers, final thoughts? See it once. See it at least once. And, you know, relive your childhood fantasies of saving the school and realize how it won't work out. That's fair. I mean, it's a movie from 1991. They're all this style. I I think there's, like, the golden age of movies of, like, the 50s and the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then I also believe that there is this, like, period in cinematic history that doesn't get talked about in the 80s and 90s when, like, all these films from, you know, Pretty Woman on down mm-hmm. and Adventures in Babysitting and all these ones that are going to get lost if we don't start showing them to our kids again. Mm-hmm. I think this one you could, I think it would be great to, you know, have, like, a 13-year-old and be like, watch this movie. And just tell me what you think of it. That's fair. I don't see any. Yeah, I don't see any problem showing this to a 13-year-old. Was it rated R? Probably. It has excessive violence and bulging pectorals, according to the TV guide. True. Yeah, rated R. Rated R. In 1991. That's interesting that a movie about teenage kids would be rated R. I don't feel like that was a big... And I don't think it was excessive violence either. Like, I don't, I don't... Like, I don't feel like... There was shooting. I feel like, I feel like in the 90, like the late 80s and 90s, like, movies with kids were generally rated for kids, and there weren't a lot of, like... I mean... The first movie I can remember with teenagers in it that was rated R was Varsity Blues. Yeah. The 900 number, she was really good at her job. Yeah. So, like, that was a better orgasm than probably Meg Ryan and When Harry Met Sally. Yeah, that was an interesting... Um, but then, like, I was like, scene. "What? I don't think I would sit around, like, you know, listen that's to this." A whole, with, like, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast that we're not going to talk about. But yeah, all right. Are you going to tweet at Will Wheaton? I'll tweet. I mean, he's famous. Like, he's that Big Bang Theory like blew him back up. Well, and he also had the Star Trek and everything that he was doing. He's worth a shot. Yeah. No, I mean, maybe he's dying to talk about Toy Soldiers. The one guy that Harry Renard. It's just he likes to talk. Oh yeah. Yeah. He he's a bike rider in L.A. and he that's his big thing. I think he's got ninety followers. So everybody go out and follow Harry Renard. Okay. Taylor Nichols is his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's important to distinguish that Harry Renard was his character in Boiler Room, which was our first episode. Right. So. So yeah. No, that's all I got. <laughs> Um, Toy Soldiers, good movie, 1991. Different than Small Soldiers. So follow us on Twitter, I guess. Yeah, the next episode we haven't figured out yet, but as soon as yeah, we know, us. give us a movie recommendation. We love to hear movie recommendations. Those have been some of my favorite episodes where we both kind of don't know the movie, and then we both come in with like fresh eyes. Yeah, and, ears and, and you could call in and be on the episode, and then t- you know, play it for your friends and say, "I'm on the radio." Like there the, aren't radios anymore. Like the guy in that thing you do. Yeah, but you Bluetooth it into the. <laughs> to the car alright so yeah Toy Soldiers enjoy it and we will uh, catch you next time peace peace
Toy Soldiers was produced by Island World. It was distributed by TriStar Pictures. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the film's soundtrack, composed by Robert Folk. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And remember, if your school is taken over by bad guys with guns, make sure you incapacitate them hand-to-hand like MC with his martial arts skills, or you might just will weed in yourself. Enjoy your day.